0: One of the cautions which is woven through the whole of the Bible is to beware of the voices which are calling you, to be careful about what you hear. Psalm 8 is a worship song which God intends to have a profound impact Upon our view of ourselves. Here is one voice. In fact, it is the voice of the one to whom we should listen. Oh Lord, how Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth? And how does the majestic creator God describe humanity? Crowned with honor. And glory. Faith listens well to the Creator God, the one who crowns us with glory and honor, the one who redeems us with everlasting love.
1: Our sermon text is taken from Psalm chapter 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along these paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Heavenly Father, we praise your holy and righteous name and give thanks to you that you brought us together here to worship you as we hear your word proclaimed this morning, help us to see ourselves with new eyes. Help us to know that in all your glorious creation, you are mindful of us, that you do care for us, even to the point of sending your own son to die for us. Lord, help us to remember that you have crowned us with glory and honor, and that according to your word, even when we were dead in our trespasses, You made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Lord, I ask that the Holy Spirit be with my brother Glenn as he instructs us in your words of life. Help us to humble our hearts and listen not to what the world tells us, but to listen to every word that proceeds from your mouth. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name on all the earth. Amen.
0: Well, for those visiting with us today, if you do not know me, my name's Glenn Durham. I'm one of the elders here. I guess I'm kind of like called off the bench to fill in for Pastor Greg, who's on injured reserve. Um, Although he's not technically injured, he's on holiday, but we can pretend it's IR list. Uh, I do preach differently from Greg. Uh, I probably wouldn't say better or worse. Actually, I would say better. Um, But he's okay, too. If you don't like the sermon, next week it'll be different because Greg will be preaching. We have the same Bible, but we just have a different style. (laughs) Psychology Today magazine says that low self-esteem is a thinking disorder in which an individual views himself or herself as inadequate, unlovable, or incompetent. Once formed, this negative view permeates every thought, producing faulty assumptions and ongoing self-defeating behavior. I can think of at least four groups who might feel some discomfort at the thought that I'm preaching about the issue of self-esteem. Today, there are some Christians who feel that such topics dirty the water of scriptural interpretation with problems that are foreign to the Bible. You might think, well, I've looked in the index of my Bible, or they have a fancy word for a Bible index. It's called a concordance, and I've looked up in my concordance and the word self-esteem's not in there, so we shouldn't talk about it. There's a second group. Many psychologists and medical professionals believe that mental health issues are beyond the purview of religion, and they're beyond the right or ability of a pastor to address. Third, I think some church members imagine that the Bible could not possibly address some of the deepest struggles and uh, problems that uh, our family members or our friends have on a regular ba- basis. We, we feel that mental health issues are just too big. They're too complex to be to be addressed by the Bible, and and we probably ought to just stay in our little tiny sphere, talk about salvation, and, well, just salvation. And then fourth, if we're honest, there are just some people who do not want a biblical answer <laughs> to the problems we face. I I, I, mean, I want to say this with sincere compassion and genuine care for any here today who feel like that description out of this magazine may touch on uh, 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 a chord of your heart, but you need to know this, that when we, when our souls are struggling with the deepest and greatest upheaval, many times we do not want a biblical answer. We just do not want that. That's part of being a sinner. That's part of being in the flesh, is that I have this great problem, and the last thing I want is God to tell me how he can fix it. Sure, we want magic potions to heal the pain. We want simple solutions that sweep away the suffering from our lives. Probably some of you are old enough to, with me, remember the, the famous commercial, wash that gray right out of your hair, Probably some of you are wondering why I didn't take it to heart, since I remember the jingle, uh, why I'm not doing it. But I find mostly what we want is we want quick answers to problems that we spent years cultivating in our lives. We want quick answers to problems we spent years cultivating in our lives. I borrowed the title for today's sermon from a Tim Keller series, Modern Problems, Ancient Solutions. He preached that series through the Book of Psalms. I really like that title because it reminds me as I hear it, Modern Problems, Ancient Solutions. It, it, modern Problems, it reminds me of how we think we're so sophisticated, right? We have modern problems. We're not like the old people back in the Bible days that were worried about whether it was going to rain. We have modern problems, we're sophisticated people. And yet in that very title, Tim Keller, Tim Keller who preached in Manhattan, talk about people who thought they were sophisticated with modern problems. He preached a series through the Psalm, Modern Problems, Ancient Solutions. He was saying with the title and as he said every week when he preached that we think we're real sophisticated, but substantive and real solutions come from as unlikely as it is ancient source, the Bible. The Bible has answers to our problems. But of course, in one sense, low self-esteem is a modern problem. That, that kind of phraseology was uh, not really, used in the 16th century. They didn't talk about finding yourself or I need to get in touch with myself or I have poor self-esteem or I I don't know who I am. Somebody told me the other day that Charles Spurgeon is quoted so often here they thought he was one of our assistant pastors. (laughs) I'm pretty sure Spurgeon never preached on low self-esteem. But I want to, as we begin this morning, I want to remind you, don't let the name, don't let the rapper of modern psychology confuse you or mislead you, God does warn you, you better think of yourselves with sober judgment. He's telling you how to think about yourself is what the Bible says. And I can assure you the core issue in dealing with low self-esteem is absolutely how we think of ourselves. So if we're going to apply this sermon today, how do we apply it? Well, I think there are some people, probably some people here today that either have those kinds of feelings now or they're prone to those kinds of feelings that were described by psychology today. Now, I do not expect, I do, <laughs> do not expect one sermon to just make all things better, right? It's not gonna heal all of the problems, but I do believe this. I want to encourage you to open your heart to the Lord. And you will find that he cares for you. Healing is not quick. It's not easy. It, it, it's not even a one-time treatment. But listen, God is near the broken hearted. And he cares for you. I can think of no better definition, a biblical definition for low self-esteem than being brokenhearted. God cares for the brokenhearted. But others of us here today probably have self-esteem which soars with the eagles. Maybe we we think too much of ourselves as Paul would warn us about in Romans chapter 12. But for you this morning, I want to assure you that you have friends and family, you know, people who struggle with these kinds of fears and feelings personally. So I hope you leave today with more compassion, more empathy, but also hope you leave with a deeper confidence that the Lord does heal. The Lord does care. It is he who heals. Even if you do not know the perfect words to say to your friends, know that God does. And know that you can help them hear the voice of a loving God. And then for all of us, we're looking at one little specific challenging problem that people face in our modern world. But I want us to dig into this case study, but as we do, see a pattern that applies in many other areas. It's a a case study by which we learn how to find a biblical answer. And as we do, I want to tell you that I think it's a different and deeper application of the word that many of us may be used to. It is different as well as deeper. Let me give an illustration to to illustrate or to, to tell you how I think it's different. I've never had this exact conversation, but I've had conversations like this. Someone says to me, I'm worthless and I hate myself. Now, I've learned pretty quickly the right answer is to immediately say that's not good, right? That's not where you want to be. But the Bible says something different. It, does not, it says you're not worthless. Can we talk about applying Psalm 8 in your life? And then the person says to me something along these lines. Oh, I read Psalm 8 this morning. I still feel bad. It doesn't work. And then if I were to say something like this, oh, really, what else did you do this morning? And they say, well, I watched Marie Kondo videos for an hour. Now, some of you, uh, probably very few. How many of you know who Marie Kondo is? Oh, not that many. Well, she's a lady that will tell you how to make your life perfect. (laughs) I should have brought a video of her because it's a real treat. (laughs) (laughs) If you do what she says, your life will be perfect. You will be completely organized. Everything will be great, especially if you buy some of the products she sells on her website. But that is a picture. That is a picture. I'm not saying you should, I'm not saying Marie Kondo is sin. Some of you probably need to clean up your life. Get a little more organized, right? But it's a picture. It is a picture of how we think that 10 minutes of reading the Bible can compete with an hour of social media. It cannot, and it's not because of a flaw in the Bible. It is not because of a flaw in the Bible. It is because the Bible is not magic spells that will reorient your life upon mere recitation. This is not Harry Potter, believe it or not. Right? When he says whatever he says and waves his magic wand, everything changes. That's not how God wrote the Bible. And so when we, in this imaginary story, spend a few minutes reading Psalm 8 and expect it to fix our lives, here's what we've done. We've turned Psalm 8 into a black and white photo that is faded and grainy. And then we spend an hour with Marie Kondo who has a 100 people making her look perfect, putting makeup on and editing the video so that you think she is God's gift to humanity. You turn that, these other voices into an ultra high definition 3D, full-color, immersive experience, maybe with a little virtual reality thrown in, and it is sharp and seductive. I'm not saying it has to be sin. It doesn't have to be pornography. But what we do is we turn the other experiences in our lives into very, very, powerful voices that control our feelings and thoughts and too often when we read the bible it's just black and white the law of the lord is perfect reviving the soul the testimonies of the lord are sure making wise the simple The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More are they to be desired than gold, even much fine gold and sweeter than honey from the honeycomb what is psalm 19 it is david turning the word of god into a 3d image that captures his imagination and heart how do we magnify psalm 8 so that we hear loudly and clearly the voice of the Majestic One instead of the noises that vie for the life of our soul. First, let's think for a moment about what voices empower a poor self-image. Some of you may recognize some of these voices. I'm a failure. Nobody loves me. All I ever do is make things worse. I will never amount to anything. I'm a disappointment to everyone. I should do the world a favor and end it. I deserve to be treated poorly. For people that, people in whom those kinds of voices resonate, they, they, those voices can come from a wide variety of places, a wide variety of social experiences and personal history, abuse, neglect, tragedy, failure, addiction, mistakes inability, disability. But for some, it flourishes in the way you were sinned against. For others, in the way you condemn yourself. In church, sometimes this kind of problem is born out of a complicated mixture of things that are true and things that are not true. For example, a lot of times in church, people start with uh, an accurate assessment of sin my response was full of anger. And and even what appears to be a proper humility before God, I need to confess my anger as sin. But then, for whatever reason, they twist it to where it becomes a lie. God is disgusted with me. And presumption, God will not forgive me. So what starts as humility gets mingled with the pride of self and woos our hearts away from God. But whatever cause or circumstances, you may personally have, and, and they're different for everybody. The causes and circumstances are different from everyone by which we trace our negative thoughts and feelings. I want you to know this morning, there are two keys to begin to unlock the door to change. Two keys to begin to unlock the door to change. And the first is to recognize the voice of self-hatred. I like that term self-hatred better than low self-esteem. To accurately describe this issue, Todd Stride, uh, who's a professor at at CCEF, which is the counseling ministry our church partners with, that's what he calls it in his article, self-hatred and the loving voice of God. It is important, it is important what we call our problems, because problems which build a strong fortress against God's healing crumble, or begin to crumble at least, when we properly name them. Problems which build a strong fortress against God's healing begin to crumble when they are properly named and described low self esteem is a psychologized word it's a psychologized word that resists careful definition and, and it leaves the impression that any possible solution obviously obviously could not come from a pastor counseling with the scriptures but self hatred is a much clearer description of the reality of the problem. And it begins even in the name to show the path toward healing. Self-hatred. I get to make the rules. I get to define the world in which I live. And I've decided I hate myself versus God defines the rules. God tells me what to think of myself, and God has a loving voice. You have to recognize the problem for what it is, and properly naming it is an important start. But then second, replace the noise with a new voice. Replace the noise with a new voice. I'm sure some of you know that uh, last week or week and a half ago, Utah Governor Spencer Cox signed into law a requirement that social media companies get parental consent for minors using their services. Pretty interesting. I don't know if Marie Kondo counts there or not. (laughs) She's gonna hate me by the end of this (laughs) business. What do you got against Marie Kondo? For other states and, and the federal government is also considering a similar law. Why is that? Because they recognize that the voices of social media are addictive and deceptive. They are addictive and deceptive. They're addictive because by the very nature of them, they come to us as a full color, high definition, immersive experience in redefining what is important, what we, who we are and why we are and who our neighbor is. It's addictive but it's also deceptive. It's deceptive because it lies to us about who we are. It lies to us about, lies to us about what our neighbor looks like, what our neighbor's house looks like, what our neighbor's lives look like, right? It's self-deceptive and it lies. And And so I have some sympathy with the intentions of the Utah legislature to pass such a law and, and it, it may do some small bit of good temporarily, but before you rush to close your Facebook and Instagram accounts, and not just because I have stock in those two companies, but before you do that, please remember, heart problems cannot be solved by removing external temptations. Heart problems cannot be solved. I'm Not telling you, therefore, go and immerse yourself in Facebook or whatever, Thing you do, but that will not solve your heart problem. You must magnify the voice of the mighty one of Israel. You must magnify the voice of the majestic one over the noises that are calling your soul and that are trying to deceive you. And you can only do that by drawing close to God. Many professing Christians just swim in an ocean of self-absorption. We cannot imagine a world where God is close to us because in our world, we only see ourselves. We are the center of the world in which our thoughts and feelings define reality and omit All other light. I like the way David Pallison describes this in uh, his book, Seeing With New Eyes. He writes, ah, there it is right there. Alex, will you read that for me so I can get some water? Alex is in my small group. I know he's read it before. Out loud for all of us.
1: Many of the people we counsel live inside a black hole of self-will, misery, and confusion. They need God to break in on their shadow land, from which sin has erased the light of the personal and living God. Often, without realizing it, people live as practical atheists, worshipping themselves, their own will, and opinions. They see God from within a black hole, and he appears remote, irrelevant, and distorted.
0: That'll keep people awake for the rest of the sermon, Wanted You don't know who what I'm going to call on next. <laughs> Whew, I like that. So how do we escape this black hole? How do we escape this black hole where we cannot see God except distorted? I want to point you toward a biblical answer, but before I do, I want us to briefly consider what answers the world has. So that we can think about, the, how we can see the contrast, the biblical answer versus the answer that the, the, uh, the world proposes. So what answers does the world have for a poor self-image? Uh, Tim Keller preached a wonderful sermon on Psalm 8, and he noted that there really are three different answers that the world gives. You are what you acquire, you are what you feel, and you are what you say you are. You are what you acquire. This was the obvious answer in the 1980s, what is sometimes called the decade of greed. If you wanna feel good about yourself, you should have more stuff than your neighbor does because then you can say, hey, look at all the stuff I've got. (laughs) Obviously, I'm better than my neighbor because, well, I have more stuff. And of course, it's not just always possessions, is it? It, 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 We usually think of that first, but plenty of people define their self-worth by the recognition they get, Uh, our honor, a promotion at work, a job title, the the children they have. Mm, A big one is how your children behave. That's a big one. That's a big one in the church, right? My self-esteem, my self-worth is because my children sit still when they are in the service versus those people back there and their kid misbehaving. See how much better I am? Obviously, I'm a better parent. My children sit still. Marie Kondo says your self value will be increased if you get your life organized. We're not gonna leave her alone. (laughs) But listen, what you get cannot ever ultimately improve your self image because the more stuff you get, the more you have to point to your stuff and say, look how much stuff I have. I must be great, but you're trying to say I'm great Because of that big pile of stuff. See, it's self-defeating. The more stuff you get, the more you have to point to your stuff, which means you're not even allowed to think about yourself. It cannot. It cannot sustain you. It will always leave you empty. So other people have said, maybe it's better that you are what you feel. The idea here is that your self-value rises when you're true to your own inner desires. I'm done living up to other people's expectations. I must be me. I must find out who I am. I must find out what I really want inside and give myself that. And then I can have great self-esteem. You know how valuable this is because this is what Woody Allen devoted himself to. And what what is Woody Allen? He's a neurotic, right? It doesn't do anything except make you crazy. And yet Unfortunately, this is exactly what is uh, most commonly given forth as the right answer for why people commit adultery and divorce. I no longer love my spouse. I used to love them, eh, but the heart wants what the heart wants, and eh, I want something different now. All right, so if you are going to base your self-value on fickle feelings, you're going to be pretty sad at the end. woe to you. <laughs> So other people, the the most common view today, the most popular view today is you are what you say you are. This is the philosophy, uh, the view of self that is the philosophy under the gender fluidity movement. It's the idea that I can be whatever I want in the moment and change whatever I am. I mean, there is, I'm pretty confident there's not one person on the planet that would have guessed that 20 years ago, when you logged into your LinkedIn account, you have to have a pronoun there to tell you whether you are today a boy or a girl, and I'm supposed to call you him or her, right? I can be whatever I say that I am. And although this view is winning the debates today in popular culture, it is the worst of the three because it is completely intolerant. It seems to be tolerant of things, but it is absolutely intolerant of any view of absolute truth like Christianity. Well, I did, we're not going to probe all of those, although we could go into detail on those to begin to understand the world in which we have to live. But I just want to make you aware of the world's answers and the inconsistency of those so that you would have some understanding of how to deal with them. But the most important thing to realize about the world's answers is this all of these say that the issue of self-worth or self-esteem is a psychological issue it's a psychological issue that means i have to look within myself to find the answer it is in my psyche somewhere that i find my self-value and the and god says to you it's a theological issue you cannot look in yourself and find what can make you confident because the answer is not within. It is without. The answer is the mighty one, the majestic one. Someone outside the black hole of self must define who we are. And that's the third and final point this morning. What does the loving voice of God say to a bad self-image. God says three things. He says, you are special, you are a sinner, and you are a saint. Special, sinner, saint. First, you're special. This is really what Psalm 8 is about at its core. David is there. He's outside with the sheep. He is reflecting on creation When I look up at the heavens, the works of your hands, O God, (laughs) when I see the moon and stars which you have set in place, what is mankind? What are we that you are mindful of us? Why do you even care about us? And yet, you have made us a little lower than the heavenly beings, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. David is magnifying God's voice in his ear so that he knows his proper place. I am special. You are special in God's creation. Probably some of you have heard of C.S. Lewis? How many of you have heard of C.S. Lewis? Okay. That's everybody. How many of you have read or had someone read to you or seen something C.S. Lewis movie? Raise your hand. Okay, almost everybody. And how many of you have read The Weight of Glory by C.S. Lewis? A lot less. (laughs) You've missed the good stuff. Listen to what Lewis says. He's talking, he's reflecting on on how God made people and crowned us with glory and honor. He's asking us to think about that. Let's look at that deeper. And he says, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature who, if you saw it now, you would be tempted to worship. Or else it might be a horror and corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. But there are no ordinary people. There are no ordinary people. You have never met a mere mortal nations cultures art civilization yes these are mortal things and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat but it is immortals whom we joke with work with marry snub and exploit immortal horrors or everlasting splendors god does not say god in fact god says you are not worthless (laughs) you are crowned with glory and honor. You are special, but you're also a sinner. So why we might ask, why do we feel worthless if the majestic one insists otherwise? Well, it's because we've rejected his voice, and we listen to the rebellion and darkness that surrounds us. I, I know that in the church, a lot of times when we think about the fact that we are sinners, we tend to think of the, the small s and the plural sins. You know, we we get mad at our our spouse, or we we get impatient uh, when dealing with people who do not do what we want them to do. We we think about people who rob banks or whatever other kinds of sins, and 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 those are sins, no doubt about it. But that's not the core issue. The core issue is the majestic one speaks and we are not magnifying his voice in our lives that's what it means to be a sinner it's to have God say something and us not listen how could there be anything worse than that when a loving father calls to you and yet we do not hear so what is it that a sinner needs to do turn back to God Listen again to the voice of a loving Savior. It is repentance, but it's not repentance that dredges up all of the particular sins. It's repentance that runs back to a loving Father. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest hear the voice of a loving father we're say, uh, we're special yes we're sinners but we're also saints god offers us light to extinguish our dark thoughts that is a beautiful sentence god offers us light to extinguish our dark thoughts And he offers joy to overwhelm our negative feelings. What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be a Christian? It means to come back to God. To come to your creator, who has crowned you with glory and honor, even though we had turned away, but come back and find again healing for your soul. Have you not heard In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand is pleasure forevermore. Some of you today probably need some counsel. Maybe you're struggling with some of these feelings. If you do, I would be honored to speak with you. A a lot of people find me very intimidating. So if you do, then we can find someone else to talk to you. That's fine. But if you come to me, I'm gonna tell you that the road out of self-hatred is a difficult one. (laughs) It is a difficult one, and and as we conclude today, I wanna just remind us that there are three reasons it's difficult. It's hard because self-hatred is usually connected to our personal history. It's usually connected to our personal history, which means that you have listened to the wrong voices for a long time. And they are as familiar as they are damaging. Now, the voice of God is not damaging, it's glorious, but it is an unfamiliar voice to you. And so there will be times when it sounds discordant. And you will have to, you know, just like we're not here when the band tunes their instruments, But you have to tune and you have to tune your ear to hear his voice because you've listened to the wrong voice for so long. So it's hard because it's connected to your personal history. It's a hard path because connected with self-hate are often very intense emotions. And as humans, we believe whatever is an intense emotion must be true. It's one of the challenges that we all face to come to Christ and to follow him is we tend to think we have deep emotions. Well, those must be true, even if the Bible says they're not. And for those who struggle with this sin of self-hatred, there are deep thoughts and emotions that we assume are true. Then third, it's connected with your personal history. There are deep emotions, but then self-haters usually have a lot of pride in setting their own standard. They don't want to hear what God says because they've already figured out the right answer. Now, faith, trust, and obedience can overcome these bad habits and shame and pride, but you need to know faith is hard and humbling work. The voice of God is is not heard in one sermon alone or in one counseling session, but it must be listened for again and again. But the good news is that the voice of God is a voice of love. And it's the opposite of self-hate. Is that not worth tuning your ears to hear? Father, thank you for the promise of Psalm 8, that you love us, that you have crowned us with glory and honor. We confess, Lord, that we have turned away. Even though your voice is majestic and your voice is loving, we have listened to other sounds We have allowed the noises of the darkness to interfere with the glory of what you say to us. But your spirit is mightier than all the sins we could ever imagine. And you call us again with the voice that says, come to me, all who are weary, come to me all who are brokenhearted, and I will heal you. I will give you rest. We bless you, Lord. Amen.